hello thanks for tuning in thanks for choosing us today and thank you for listening to the not the top 20 podcast monday pod i'm ali maxwell george ellick with me we're talking all things efl george I started with a smile on my face, but it's been wiped off already because I think we should be straight with each other. I think we should be straight with the listeners. This weekend of EFL football that we are recapping, potentially the worst weekend of EFL football of the season, possibly even in recent memory, I think. Possibly ever. (laughs) I mean, just to give you some numbers as to why I would be quite so disparaging. 18 goals in nine championship games, that's two a game. 23 in 10 League One games. 2.3 per game and only 11 in nine league two games 23 of the 28 had two goals or fewer in them i mean a potion of of mental and physical fatigue poor pitches lack of training time that there are plenty of excuses and i i I don't mean to be rude but we didn't even have much late drama that we normally would a a late winner for rotherham late-ish and a, a late equalizer for rochdale aside but we did have plenty of red cards everyone was obviously very tetchy this weekend I'm intrigued to know how many people have just turned off their podcast being like, right, well, if that's the case, I'm just going to not listen to the lads. It's up to us to we, bring it to life, though. There's there's loads for us to talk about. Yes. Thankfully, it's it's January and it's the EFL, so there's plenty on our plate. Um, but yeah, I said to my girlfriend before it started, I literally, and I never normally do this, I was like, right, three o'clock on a Saturday, the best two hours of the weekend. <laughs> and I think that cursed it because then the next two hours... Watching Jeff and the lads um, was pretty boring, to be frank. Um, mm. So that means we're through it. So variance suggests that Tuesday <laughs> and Wednesday is going to be incredible. Let's hope so. Let's hope so. Let's talk about the football that did happen because, you know, I've, I've been harsh, but there are some interesting threads to pull at here. We'll start at the top of the championship. Of course, we've got a team in Norwich who are... Pulling clear, I would say, to a certain extent. Now, some of that is circumstantial. Brentford haven't played for the last week and they're still missing a game again in this midweek. Bournemouth have dropped a few points this week and Swansea very much march on. But it was Norwich beating Cardiff 2-1. George, we've seen them play Cardiff twice now in the last month and there's certainly no doubt left that there is a very large golfing class between these two teams, even with Cruel and Pookie missing for Norwich at either end of the pitch. Yeah, uh, now I'm not going to sit here and say that Norwich weren't good value for their lead because for their win because they were, and you know they took the lead, took a two 0 lead within you know 25 minutes of the game and were good value for that. But there were some moments in this match that could have meant it was a little bit different. We saw um, Harry Wilson miscontrol a ball within the first minute that should have presented itself to be a pretty good goal-scoring opportunity. We saw Mar- Marlon Pack get a second yellow, for which, you know, I'm not arguing that's bad luck or anything, but certainly... Bad it timing, was... wasn't it? Five yeah. minutes after they'd made it 2-1, 20 minutes to go. You think there might be a barrage coming and then all the air was let out of the balloon. Yeah, I mean, it, it stalled their progress, especially because um, Kiefer Moore came on for his return from injury about seven minutes before the Joe Rules goal. And he immediately made an impact you know his physical presence up front meant the balls were sticking up top when they hadn't done beforehand and I think again we've just seen how important Kiefer Moore is for for, for Neil Harris and for Cardiff um, so yeah, it's kind of a classic Norwich win this they are a side who always create enough chances to win games but we say that about a lot of teams who don't necessarily do it they're never particularly um, defensively sound, always pre- presenting opportunities for the opposition to get back into it if they can take them. But more often than not, they end up 
with three points. You know, I'm a huge fan of this Norwich side, but you mentioned Krul and Pukki being out. Um, and they still managed to find a way to win. Brendier wasn't at his best. Cantwell, probably the better of the three in behind. Um, so, yeah, th- this, this is Norwich doing what Norwich often do. Um, on another day, this could have been a different story, depending on Wilson taking that chance early or, or, or Cardiff not going down to 10. But that didn't happen. It's another three points and they are well on their way to a Premier League return. But, um, but yeah, certainly from Cardiff's point of view, if I was Neil Harris... Um, you wouldn't be sitting particularly easily. Uh, I think he must know that his position is, is certainly under threat at the moment. But with the return of Moore, and, and also it should be said with, with their signing of Max Waters from from Crawley, with the anticipated signing of Perry and G from Crew going in going through today, that doesn't seem to me like a club who are about to sever ties with their, with their manager. Um, so I think we probably have... I, I think Harris is going to get a chance. I think he deserves a chance playing with his main striker back in the first team as well. Yeah, absolutely. You, you can understand why he's under pressure. It's four defeats in a row in the league. It's actually not long after they won four games in a row. So very topsy-turvy for this Cardiff side. And I mean, I don't think this is... The, well, it's not just me that thinks this. This isn't the game to overreact to, like losing to the league leaders. It's evident that there's a big gap in quality between these two two, two teams, uh, the way that they play. And Cardiff do just seem to have got that little bit less imposing at the back, which seems to be letting them down. I mean, the fact that, that Norwich looked the much more dangerous side from set pieces in this game was something of a surprise because that's normally something you could hang your hat on when it comes to Cardiff. But it's definitely true that their position of 15th at the moment in the table, albeit with a game in hand, is not at all what the expectation was or should have been uh, pre-season after that remarkable run to the playoffs. And we speak about it before, and we have spoken about it so many times, how doing really well when you first come into an into a club can come back to bite you further down the line. It's worth remembering that after Neil Harris joined Cardiff last season, he had 30 games and they were they had the fourth best record in the league in that time, better even than West Brom, who won automatic promotion in the last 30 games. That's two thirds of the season uh, and obviously made the playoffs before losing in the semi-finals. So, I mean, I, I would I would look to give him another few games, but I can certainly understand why the fan base are getting pretty restless. As for Waters, I mean, I'm so excited because... As as you've said many times, this is one of the best stories that we've covered in the EFL this year. It's a big jump up from League Two to the Championship. There haven't been many players who have done it over the last few years. Very few of them that have settled down straight away. So I'm, I, I don't want to raise expectations necessarily. I wouldn't be surprised if we don't see too much of him to start with. But of course, he might just be so sharp and so full of confidence at the moment that you know it could be one to, to chuck him in and see how he goes. Reminder that... Before he joined Crawley, he'd never really played EFL football. He'd played some non-league stuff and he'd never quite broken through at Doncaster. So he really is taking a leap up in general quality of the play and the players around him. Uh, And I don't think we should expect too much. I'm also not sure exactly how they'll play him. I I mean, if you look at who scored, it says that Cardiff have played 4-4-2 10 times this season, which is a bit more than I expected. But mostly it was was, uh, Mark Harris pairing Kiefer Moore. Moore and Glatzel have only started twice together. So maybe Waters up front with more could be quite a nice pairing. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what happens anyway. Hopefully he's a proper Jamie Vardy type who just gets better, <laughs> gets better the higher up he plays and the more games he plays. But, um, but I don't think we should expect that to be the case, put it that way. Uh, and just to finish off with Norwich, they're in such a good spot right now. Um, I mean, Ben Gibson coming back from his absence has been big for them, a fantastic defender, but also gives them a lot on the ball. They look a lot more confident playing out of the back when Gibson plays. Their second goal was 
glorious move from back to front, finished off by Campwell, who, as you said, was was f- full of energy, but also seems to have have improved his quality in the final third as well, and in, inside the penalty box, which is you know which is what he needed to do really, I think, to to take charge of games at this level. So, um, I mean, the bookies' current odds have Norwich uh, with about 75, 80% chance of promotion. So they're clearly in a very very strong spot. Excited to see if Perry and G does sign for Cardiff. By the way, I think that you know it might not be the sexiest club for him to join. There's a lot of people who want to see him join the Championship and do well, but just in terms of game time, I mean Cardiff have currently got Bakuna playing right back. That's not ideal. So hopefully that would be a good signing, and, and we can see how and G adapts to the Championship. Uh, George, let's go from Cardiff to Swansea, or rather from Cardiff to Barnsley, where Swans travelled on the weekend and won two nil. What did you make of this game? Do you mean Swansea to nil? Because that is their <laughs> their new name. It, it's incredible how good they are defensively. Um, ben Cabango's first goal was also one of my favourite goal celebrations of all time. Where you know, at a time where we're talking a lot about goal celebrations, and we're not going to necessarily go into that now, even though I do have some thoughts. Um, I just enjoyed how he seemed to have absolutely no idea if he had actually scored the goal. And then when he realised that he had, he looked so happy about it, which is um, the way that goals should be. And, you know, this was a game where Barn, it, it kind of went exactly, I think, how we said it was likely to on the Totally Football League show ex- extra time last week, where Barnsley caused Swansea a lot of problems um, with the intensity of their play. Swansea didn't create a great deal, but scored an opener from a long throw from Connor Roberts and then Jamal Lowe basically breaking through um, a high line and getting in behind and, and scoring with a lovely finish. It, well, I'm sure Barnsley fans will look at the game and wonder how they were beaten by two goals to nil. But Swansea fans, I think, are just getting used to this now. They they found a way to 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 keep clean sheets without necessarily preventing teams from creating, which maybe might not be too sustainable quite a lot of of um of Barnsley's efforts were kind of pretty speculative we should say but on the balance of play this wasn't a regulation 2-0 win but that's turning into what Swansea do every week well it's funny you say that I've got a stat for you which I've not seen elsewhere uh, an exclusive stat to the extent that any stat could be an exclusive uh, <laughs> Swansea have won 2-0 this season eight times which is one third of all of their games they've played 24 no team has had a more regular scoreline any scoreline in the championship this season than Swansea's 2-0 scoreline uh, of, of eight one third of their games I actually had what I thought was a really clever line on quest you know that old saying football's a simple game 22 men chase around a ball for 90 minutes and in the end the germans win i don't think i've heard it but yes i had something similar on quest which was which was yeah the championship this season's pretty straightforward teams come up against swansea they think they play quite well and when the final whistle goes swansea have won two nil the problem was i said yeah we've seen this a lot this season teams play against barnsley and they play pretty well and then the final whistle blows and swansea have won two nil it just didn't make any sense whatsoever. <laughs> but I, think... I, well, I, I watched it back in full and I didn't notice any of that. As in, to the extent that I can't even remember you talking about the game. So <laughs> I'm learning that if you say something with enough confidence and maybe with a, a glint in your eye, then, <laughs> then sometimes you can get away from it, uh, get away with it rather. Just just on your quest performance, my favourite bit by Miles that I've already texted you was when you decided to say the words midfield destroyer. And rather than just say it, you took on like a whole new persona and with your arms did this thing and you kind of almost shouted it at Danny Cowley. 
you say you said you know I, I kind of thought you were talking about Zach Viner and you were like yeah because you know he's a defender playing midfield his passing record range is very good I kind of expected him to be a midfield destroyer but, in, <laughs> but instead and I was like wow you just you've really owned that um <laughs> bit of bit of creative active <sighs> creative punditry we don't see it enough you and Mika Richards you know raising the bar I definitely raised some eyebrows by using the phrase defensive zeal at one point as well. I don't, I don't imagine I will ever use that before, uh, again in a, in a footballing analysis context. Anyway, can Swansea beat the championship record for best defensive record? I mean, they're very much on course at the moment, currently held, certainly in the modern era, certainly since the millennium, uh, by West Brom, who in 2001-2002 conceded 29 in 46 games. They came second. Um, lovely quirk. They were promoted behind a Man City team that scored 108. So you had the top team who just scored like two and a half every single game. Uh, and a West Brom team who conceded half a goal every single game. So <laughs> uh, a real yin and yang there. Preston in 2005-2006 only conceded 30 in 46 games. Didn't even get promoted. Came fourth. Wow. And lost to Leeds in the playoffs. I think it was Rob Hulse um, who did the damage there. And Swansea so far, 13 conceded in 24. That's 0.54 goals per game, which across 46, if they can keep it up, of course, would be 25 conceded, four goals fewer than West Brom. So, I mean, you're tough, you know, tough few games coming up for them. Yeah. Their next four in the league are Blackburn away, Brentford at home, Rotherham away, Norwich at home. Ooh. I'd be, you know, if you offer them what, how many goals now conceded? They'd probably take three over the four, I would have thought. They would definitely take three over the four, yeah. surely. Um, yeah, it's going to be fascinating. We should shout out Freddie Woodman. I mean, you talk about the fact that, you know, it's not necessarily like teams that come up against them don't have any chances. But invariably, in recent times when they have, Woodman's been there to thwart them, made some great mm. saves here. And all we can hope is that the championship goalkeeping uh, curse doesn't come for him anytime soon. Uh, and Connor Roberts, what a man he is, by the way. The right wing back that really does it all. I've got a funny feeling Connor Roberts could probably play for the for like, uh, like a professional rugby team as well, the way that he's built. Uh, anyway. Uh, Huge. I also like the technique with the throw, how it was one of those we threw it and then he did another circulation with his arms yeah. just to really show that he had thrown it really hard. <laughs> um, Bournemouth lost 1-0 to Luton. Now, uh, this was a, a culmination of a poor week for Bournemouth, you have to say, who, who had a home game, no, an away game against Millwall, which they drew 1-1. Uh, and then this home game against Luton, which they lost 0-1. So they've lost a little bit of ground, on certainly on Swansea and Norwich, um, although not on Brentford, of course, who haven't played since we last spoke. Maybe not a, a game to draw massive conclusions on, George, because of that early red card for Jefferson Lerma yeah I think there's a few of these games um in this week where you have to take the performance and the result with a bit of a pinch of salt because of red cards changing things pretty early what doesn't a pinch of salt mean a bit of salt anyway so a bit of a pinch of salt is even yeah, less half, even less half a pinch just like a tiny bit of salt like a really <laughs> small amount of salt okay um before otherwise we'll make Luton fans salty uh yeah I mean I think we saw a class player in Dewsbury Hall showing us what he can do with a great finish and a player who's kind of rapidly improving um I think we don't have to take too many takeaways from a Bournemouth team who actually I thought defended pretty well for 65 minutes with only 10 men they restricted Luton to to not much uh in the game um, and for you know, for a time, it looked like Luton were going to struggle to break them down. 
for Luton, it's a really important return to form after a, a terrible, terrible uh, performance and result midweek against QPR, where they were, I think their fans were kind of shocked by how by how poor they were. So to, to, to come back and turn it around here, it was important. I think playing against Bournemouth away with 10 men still isn't a particularly easy fixture for Luton to have. You know, when you look at the players that the Bournemouth still had on the pitch, a front three of Brooks, Solanke and King, um, even a back three of Rico, Kartavitkas and, and Cook, you know, these are still guys who've played a lot of Premier League football making up the side. So um, an important win for Luton and credit to them for doing it. And I think for, for Bournemouth and for Jason Tindall, you just put a line through it as a as one of those days, they'll be annoyed, frustrated that they couldn't hold Luton to uh, to a point with ten men, but they didn't, and uh, and you know they may have lost points on on Norwich and and uh, Swansea, but I'm sure there'll be opportunities to write that fairly soon. Wonderful all round midfield player, Dewsbury Hall. We probably haven't touched on him enough on this pod because I mean Luton basically need to stop bothering with man of the match polls because he wins every single one. Um, yeah. He just, I, I, I say all-round midfield player and it almost feels like I'm doing him a disservice, but the point being that he, he doesn't seemingly have any weaknesses. You know, he, he can play as a box-to-box. He could certainly play as a, as a, a an advanced number eight as well. I dare say he could sit and hold and tick things over pretty nicely as well. He just looks like one of these young players who who comes into senior football. Of course, he had a loan at Blackpool last season as well, where he was popular. And just sort of, just, it just oozes the sort of confidence and quality that makes it look, A, like he's been there for an awfully long time, even though he hasn't, and B, like he will be even more comfortable uh, at a higher level. I saw a brilliant tweet. I'm so sorry that I can't remember who tweeted this, but I couldn't I couldn't find it earlier. It said, having Dewsbury Hall, this is a Luton fan, having Dewsbury Hall is like a friend on holiday. You know that soon he'll be gone forever, but bloody hell, he's good company while he's around. <laughs> Chances are he won't keep in touch when we get home either. Oh, no. <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Um, my other my other favourite bit about this was Nathan Jones's interview where he said, we're bottom two budget, but we don't like harping on about it, <laughs> which I thought was great. And, uh, and yeah, the only other thing I'd add on Bournemouth is that Jack Wilshire has signed for them today. Six, yes, I saw that. Little six-month burst of Jack Wilshire. Hopefully, we'll see him bursting through the midfield. Uh, it's difficult to be too certain on anything with a player that's only started six senior games in two and a half years. But you know, take away any sort of seriousness, the 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 kid inside me is pretty excited about this because I mm. I can picture Wilshire at his very best, and it might have been a long time ago, but he's he's not an old football player. So if he could get on the pitch, if we could see what fifteen games of him. That would be amazing. And uh, I certainly think, obviously, at his best, he could bring something to this uh, Bournemouth side. George Derby nil, Rotherham one. The uh, the wider media narrative this weekend was obviously uh, Wayne Rooney-based in EFL. Uh, the end of a magnificent playing career. Rooney, the player, uh, melts away. And now now we've got Rooney, the manager, and he started with a 1-0 defeat at home to Rotherham. Um, there's a lot to unpack here because, you know... It, Although the focus was on his playing career finishing and what he'll be like as a manager, just at Derby in general, it's only part of the story at the moment. Yeah, we're very lucky to be sponsored by The Athletic. And as is always the case with a breaking news story within football, there is so much on there about the Derby situation, about Wayne Rooney's appointment at the club, about the proposed takeover. And most recently on Saturday, uh, Ryan Conway, the man must never sleep and, and Matt Slater who I doubt gets much either um, <laughs> two two people we've had on the pod a few times who um, 
you know, I'm sure 12 months ago um, wouldn't have expected to have to write the kind of stories they have done. But but this is another interesting EFL story where Wayne Rooney, you know, has been appointed the permanent manager on a two and a half year deal. Uh, this isn't a surprise, um, which in itself is a bit of a surprise because uh, he's been in, care- in caretaker charge and has done very well there. The surprise is it maybe in the timing with the um, proposed takeover having not gone through yet. And, you know, it mentions in the piece saying the fact that Rooney has agreed to a two and a half year deal in itself is positive news for Derby fans. The club insists that the takeover by Sheikh Khalid will happen. Rooney himself has been optimistic saying it will happen. But that doesn't change the fact that there seem to be so many wrinkles and difficulties in terms of getting this through. And given that the players haven't been paid for, for last month, the stakes here could barely be higher. So, I mean, it's it's one of those pieces where it, it, it takes a good five, six, seven minutes to read. Uh, it's fully worth it. it. It's got so much detail into the intricacies of what's going on at Pride Park. But like m- most of the stuff on The Athletic, it is better than anything else out there and uh, from two cracking writers. So make sure you do get on The Athletic. And, um, and I'm sure as more news comes out of the club and comes out around the takeover, the first place to find it will be up on the app. Yeah, on the players not being paid, uh, I've just had a look. Ryan Conway was part of a press conference with Liam Rossini, Rooney's assistant manager today, and tweeted that he was tight-lipped on if players have been paid yet. Um, you'd have thought they would try and get the good news out there if and when that does happen. So it looks like not no movement on that front. But yeah, as George said, uh, following Ryan and reading Ryan's writing has been an absolute pleasure in the last 18 months and will continue to be so. If you're not a subscriber of The Athletic, you can get 50% off an annual subscription. If you go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20, you'll get an annual subscription where you'll pay just £2.50 a month, uh, which is about the amount of a, a coffee, I guess, if you're out and about. Half of a pint in London anyway. Um, and very much worth it. And we would recommend that you do that. And we're certainly very grateful for The Athletic's uh, support for this podcast. We did get a tweet about this from Forest Analytics. I can't think why Forest Analytics would have any interest in what happens at Derby <laughs> County. But he asked, is there a danger that you've gone too far too early with your lauding of Rooney as a manager? Two wins in 10, he said, although I make it three wins in 10 in the league. And I'm certainly not holding that surely result in the cup against him, given he wasn't there <laughs> and nor was his team. Uh, and But he has played seven of the bottom half, which I think is a good thing to point out. And of course, that's three defeats in his last four. I, I suppose a lot of this is to do with semantics and what you mean by lauding. Uh, I wasn't necessarily aware that we had lauded him, although we both did think that it was fair that he got the appointment based on tangible improvements in the way that the team was playing. Um, I thought that was a good sign and meant that he merited the job. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. I, I reckon that was mo- mainly aimed at you, George, because you've been very positive about winning. <laughs> so any yeah, response to Forest Analytics? I definitely don't think that a 1-0 defeat off after two weeks of, of COVID issues, not players not being paid, takeover uncertainty, um, is enough evidence to suggest that um, Wayne Rooney, the manager, isn't a very exciting prospect. The performances that we've seen consistently, you know, he, he talked about the, the quality of opposition. I mean, the 2-0 win over Swansea was um, a pretty anomalous in terms of Swansea season. The team who were second in the league and they completely tore them apart. I mean, Swansea basically looked like a relegation side in that game. The way that they tore a Birmingham team apart as well, um, again, that was one of the most impressive performances I've seen all season. And since then, things have definitely um, gone gone downhill, although that Sheffield Wednesday game was, again, 
ridiculous where Derby had so many opportunities to put that game to bed before basically Sheffield Wednesday's only foray forward ended in, a, in an incredibly scrappy goal. So, so no, I mean, I'm not sitting here telling you that Wayne Rooney is going to be, you know, Manchester United's next manager by merit, um, even though he probably will be. Um, I'm, I'm sitting here saying that the early signs in terms of a rookie manager who has a better understanding of football than, than or a better footballing brain than pretty much everybody in this country, not to mention the technical ability and the understanding of what it takes to to lead players and to manage players um, in a dressing room. It's it's exciting that the performances that went alongside that early on were so much better than those under a, an experienced manager, even at kind of European level in Philippe Koku. So I am afraid my excitement isn't dampened. Um, what I will say is that Derby are still in a difficult position now where relegation is very, very much on the cards if they don't sort their performances out. No matter what happens off the pitch, um, unless players start to be sold or there's a points deduction, you have to measure Rooney by the second half of the season. And if he doesn't pull them away from the bottom two, three or four, then maybe we've seen an anomalous run of form. I, I don't think that's likely to happen. I think him and, and you know, Rossini is his, as his assistant and, and Shea Given and Jason Walker as the coaching staff have shown early on that they have an aptitude for this. Um, and as I say, I, I think Rotherham themselves are underestimated by many. Yeah, fantastic uh, performance and a huge win really for them. They have had their own issues with COVID and, and training grounds being shut down and they still managed to show for the most part the, the intensity that we that we really think of when we think of Rotherham United uh, certainly under Paul Warren who I believe will make it 200 games in charge this week which is an amazing achievement of course two promotions in that time uh, a relegation or two as well the first one uh, was only a sort of partial relegation on his CV I would say um, but before this game they'd only won one and drawn one of their last nine losing seven of those and they'd lost their last seven games away from home but it, it just felt like having having been having played well for the most part it was like they kicked on in the last 20 minutes where Derby weakened and that was very very impressive Paul Warren afterwards saying I want the lads to have as much faith in themselves as I have in them is one of the sweetest things I've ever heard a manager <laughs> say. And you know what? What a delightful man. I want Paul Warren to have as much faith in himself as he has in others because sometimes I think that's that's what he's lacking. He's very humble, isn't he? I can't think of a time mm. where he's bigged himself up, which is maybe not a particularly uh, regular trait in a manager. I also want to shout out, you mentioned Jamie Lindsay, and I think the, the quality and energy that Wiles, Lindsay and Barlasser have um, is, is really is really just very impressive. Uh, they're a good midfield three, and I just wanted to shout out Jamal Blackman in goal as well because he was Rotherham's number one at the start of the season and actually got dropped. Uh, Victor Johansson came in and played a few games, and then Blackman got a chance in the FA Cup against Everton last weekend, uh, played well, made some good saves, back in the team here and made some big saves at 0-0. Uh, performances like that will help Rotherham pick up points and uh, hopefully his confidence can grow from here. Watford 2, Huddersfield 0 George, I had quite a close eye on this one, partly because I'm really interested in Huddersfield at the moment. They, I enjoy watching their games in general. I think, you know, whether or not they are 
at it or purring. I just think their games, like Barnsley's games, just because of the way that they play, tend to be quite easy on the eye from a neutral's perspective. They have got 11 injuries at the moment. Mm. Um, you know, they are not the only team to have suffered an injury crisis, but for them, with what I would perceive to be a lack of depth, a lack of sort of first team ready players filling in the gaps, it's a really tough time for them. And so I was interested to see this because Watford, of course, heavy favourites pre-game and I would say that Watford were the better side, but I don't think that was particularly difficult and I wasn't that impressed by them. I was obviously keeping an eye on Watford to see how much of an improvement we've seen than in those last few games under Ivic and the first few games under Cisco. And I would say some improvement, but it couldn't have got too much worse. But I haven't. I don't think the performance levels are at a very high level considering we're holding them to high standards, of course, as they are. A promotion contender um i guess positives i think that this formation uh, will bring the best out as Raul pedro who came back into the team and scored you know in a 4-4-2 playing as a, a foil to dini allowing pedro to drift into pockets and to drop deep and link play to show all that technical quality that he's got with the ball at his feet without having the responsibility of leading the line uh, I think we'll only bring out the best in him. So whether it's Dini up top or Peritza maybe when he's back, I really am hopeful that this could bring the best out of Joao Pedro. And I just can't wait to see this Zinkenagel lad unleashed because uh, he was good against Man United, wasn't he, in the cup. He had a little cameo here off the bench and he he looks very creative. So I've still got high hopes that there's a way that this Watford team could become very good. But I certainly wouldn't, I certainly wouldn't say their performance on Saturday was very, very good. I wonder if Watford <laughs> against what we were promised from, from Chisco, it feels to me like they're turning into the side who could end up basically getting promoted out of this league whilst never impressing us purely by being defensively very sound. I mean, we're looking at the Fox punter ratings uh, in the championship. Their XG ratio is the best in their last four games. They're second in the last eight games. They're, I think, second in the last 12 games. That's interesting, it kind of rem- isn't it? Yeah, and and, I th- and the majority of that, in part, you know, they have missed a lot of good chances recently. We've spoken about the the Andre Gray mm-hmm. conundrum, um, but they're defensively been they have defensively been very very sound. And, you know, you mentioned the defensive issues at Huddersfield. Sorry, the injury issues at Huddersfield. Yes, a, a back three of Edmonds, Green, Vallejo, and and Critchlow isn't really what they are um, anticipating, especially with the youngster Schofield in goal. But in terms of of their attacking lineup, I mean, it was still. Peeper and Toffolo as wing backs, so Brian and Bakuna in the middle of the park, Fraser Campbell up front. You know, it shouldn't necessarily have impacted their attacking um, verve, but Watford were so comfortable in terms of, you know, they didn't create a great deal. And, and you are right, the first goal was a massive slice of luck with Schofield. I mean, I'm going to talk about that in a second, but their, their back four of, of Femenia, Messina, True Stekong, and then Sierra Alta, who joined in the summer, who we haven't seen much of, but immediately is looking like a very, very good centre-back playing on the left-hand side. Like, I just wonder if Watford are going to be that team who who kind of, who Newcastle it, effectively, who continue to keep clean sheets at home, don't score very many goals, don't really use their attacking options particularly well, but just through the sheer... Um, uh, the, the, the quality of the defensive players they have at their disposal maintain this level of form um possibly i mean the, the thing that i couldn't believe with the 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 cleverly goal if anybody hasn't seen it it is just one of those because not only is it a defensive mix-up with vallejo kind of playing it back to schofield and cleverly closing it down and getting there before the keeper what i don't understand is that you can see there's a ba- angle from the back where not only does schofield react slowly he takes two steps backwards after the after the pass so he 
he, he's almost anticipating he's expecting a harder pass back to him uh, but yeah it's, it, but he, it, it looks to be more like cause if he's expecting a harder pass you wouldn't take two steps back because you'd be you know you'd be going backwards it looks to me like he has just no idea cleverly's there like he's taking a run up mm. it's 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 really bizarre um but you know credit to cleverly I, I don't think many players would necessarily have that energy and that that now to do that. So, so fair play to him. I think it sums up his, I think it's about right that at some point in Tom Cleverley's career, he should, tackle, <laughs> he should tackle the ball into the goal. Uh, so yeah. I'm glad that we've got that out of the way. Yeah. I, I would, I, I just want to say, cause I feel bad for young players who make mistakes, but uh, Schofield did make some good saves in this game as well. Um, yeah. for, for Huddersfield, they just desperately have to try and ride this out, this injury crisis. I don't know how much, they're going to do for themselves long term in the January transfer window. I mean, strong rumours that they're signing Richard Keogh, which is one of the stranger uh, transfers we'll see this January from League One uh, MK Dons. And also Dwayne Holmes, a former teammate of Keogh's at, at uh, Derby, of course, who came through the, the system or certainly started his career in English football at Huddersfield. I mean, I, I could see them helping in the sense that um, more first team bodies and players who theoretically could, could come in and play fairly well in the first team whether the, whether long term I see either of those guys being a big part of a core around Huddersfield side I'm not sure but I think they just have to really batten down the hatches hammer this start of play try and trust the Corberan process because I think there's going to be some bad results on the horizon I'm sure that there there will be some good ones as well because I do believe that he's doing some good things there and they just have to get through the injuries and plan a, a positive window of recruitment this summer and plan yeah. plan for things to sort of fall into place next season, I guess. Uh, Bristol City 2, Preston nil. Good news for Bristol City. A couple of players coming back from injury, Alfie Mawson especially. Um, you know, he's he's been one of the players who's missed so much of this season, who the fans are kind of clinging on to the fact that, you know, when Mawson returns, we will improve at the back. Um, and, and with a bit of quality on the ball, maybe, um, he'll help us progress the ball forward from the back and, um, I mean, I, I can't tell whether Bristol City defended really well here and whether they just kept a very good shape and made it difficult for Preston. I was more going to lean towards the fact that Preston were pretty lacklustre, um, just really couldn't get anything going in the final third. And, and that's happened probably a little too often for Preston this season. They're weird because they, actually their goal tally isn't too bad. Uh, it's I think only five or six teams have scored more than them this season, but there are games where you watch... Preston, you're not quite sure what the ideas are in the final third. Good to see Alfie uh, Alfie Whiteman. Good to see Ben Whiteman go straight in and, and probably Preston's best performer at the base of midfield. We've spoken about their contract situation, their contract issues. Um, the update is that Alan Brown signed one, which is magnificent news. Really, really ben good for, for the club. But Ben Pearson has made it clear that he won't be signing one. Um, I mean, as I said on, on Totally Football League Show, extra time. If I'm Watford, I go and try and grab Pearson. I don't know what the situation with Celtic are. They're always sniffing around these players whose contracts are up in the summer because, of course, they they can talk to them now. They can agree terms now in a way that uh, English teams can't. But, yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, do, we, do we do we know who's in for Alfie Mo Sorry, not for Alfie Morrison. We're both getting everyone's names on that. Um, <laughs> do we know who is in for Alex Mowat? I don't he's know. another one with his contract running out in the summer. I wonder if it's also Celtic. Yeah, I don't know. I really don't know. I'm sort of slightly... My feeling about Mauer is that in footballing terms, he's kind of in the right place. Like, I think mm. I think this is the right place for Mowat uh, in footballing terms. But, of course, Barnsley can't compete with the with the wages of many clubs at championship level and, of course, a team like Celtic. So, you know, you certainly wouldn't begrudge him a move. But, the you know, putting aside money, I would I would kind of want him to stay where he is. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not all the way convinced that Mowat would improve... A, 
a lot of teams, you know, at the top of the championship or, or, or a team like Celtic for that matter. So um, that, that's my thoughts on that. Just to go back to Bristol City, um, Viner was getting all the love, wasn't he? Because, George, I was expecting him to play a midfield destroyer role. <laughs> and he didn't. He was sitting there. He, Where were the hand gestures? He was, was, br- the... <laughs> he was breaking up play. He was spraying it about. Really good performance um, and, uh, and a good win for Bristol City. Jeju with a thumping header. A very Famara type goal, that which I enjoyed a lot. Uh, Forest beat Millwall three one. Great run of form now for Forest. Uh, they've only conceded three goals in their last six, uh, and it's just a single goal in three separate games, and then three clean sheets. So that back five of Samba uh, in goal, Christie right back, Ribeiro left back, Worrell and McKenna look like a really nice combination uh, at the back, both defensively, but also McKenna showing off his quality on the ball. Um, really well and then they've got Samba Sao and Ryan Yates sitting in front of them with that nice sort of extra steel that Sao gives the energy that both of them have as well um, I'm really glad that Yates's performances have improved the 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 issues that a lot of the fan base had with him seem to have quietened down and he scored a nice goal here it's just in the final third where they still need to improve a little bit but um, quality signs in the last few weeks um, and moving up the table which is which is obviously what we were kind of waiting for under Chris Hewton uh, of course, it was it was individual class from Amiobi really that got them two 0 up here. Nice bit of play with uh, with the youngster Alex Mighton, the eighteen year old who's who's I think he started four games in the last month, which is really encouraging. I was a bit worried someone like him, you know, trying to come up against not just Amiobi but also Freeman when he's fit. Guerrero was on the bench, Lolly and Knockart as well. But fair play to Hewton and fair play to Mighton because um, he's he's clearly doing what what Hewton wants him to do and he's rewarding him with starts which which is going to be so good for a young player and looks like the Forest Academy have done it again now they did beat Millwall George and Millwall are probably the well in points return might be the worst team in the league at the moment um only 11 from their last 15 and people are getting pretty wound up about it I'm a bit confused by Millwall because as weird as it sounds given they've picked up one, one point this week I almost feel like they've turned a corner <laughs> okay. Um, because they didn't make it easy for Bournemouth, came back from behind to take a point at what is one of the hardest games of the season. They've gone to Forest away again here and you know they, they basically weren't on the pitch until Amiobi's first goal. They, they created absolutely nothing. But Amiobi's score was a pretty speculative strike, which is deflected. And after that, you know, Millwall were in the game. Um, they they had their fair share of opportunities going forward. They kind of restricted Forrest to not much. You mentioned the good Amiobi uh, goal, which was the second one. Um, a brilliant Ben Thompson strike obviously brought them the goal. I, I don't think this performance was as bad as we've previously seen from Millwall. I don't think the midweek performance, I mean, that's quite clearly a good result and a good draw. So, I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and say, they are they, they they've improved and they're going to be they're going to get their way out of it all i'm saying is that maybe you know th- this looks like another bad week in a bad run mm. i'm not necessarily convinced that's right they go to huddersfield you know this it's three consecutive away games which for them is always going to be difficult um but they go to huddersfield midweek a game where yeah i i think if they put in you know if both teams put in a similar level of performance as they both did on on saturday then it wouldn't be beyond the reaches that the mill would come away with all three points a lot obviously depends on Huddersfield's injury issues as, as we've discussed but um I know why you say that it's it's always hard for them going away but I think this season's different yeah they, yeah, yeah I think they're actually yeah, they're, more suited to playing away they've mm. certainly got a better away record than they've got more, home just record. meant 
three consecutive away games is never easy for anybody unless you um, love uh bus trips like i love yes. i love traveling so for me that would be the dream but i can well, understand why uh it's a thing of the past isn't it sadly <laughs> yeah it is um well good win for uh, for forest and one to keep an eye on uh, as they rise up the table uh, as they have done in the last weeks anyway middlesbrough nil birmingham one we'll finish with the early game on saturday George, uh, you said on the betting show this looks as obvious a home banker as you're going to get. So I'm interested to see how it's going <laughs> to how it's going to go wrong. And when you um, hear me when you hear me tapping away on the keyboard on Thursday, I'll be writing down every bold statement you make on the betting show to use and use against you on Saturday. Quite right. Well, Itor made you look like a right karanka. <laughs> Did he? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Um, it was it was a it was an interesting game. This because. Middlesbrough were by no by no means at their best whatsoever. Um, I did think Quite that the Neil opposite. Warnock's... Well, yeah, but I, I did think Neil Warnock's decision to make a triple substitution at halftime was maybe a little bit premature. There were signs towards the end of the first half that Borough were getting back into the game. There was one of the most bizarre goalmouth scrambles I've, I've ever seen where I can't work out if John Terrell's trying to punch it away from the goal line, but he kind of manages to miss it. The ball hits the bar and the post and somehow Etheridge falls onto it when it's they showed the after the game they showed the Hawkeye and it's kind of an inch from being over the line it's one of those where and 99 times out of 100 that somehow it's going to make its way in or be a penalty to Borough um, they created decent opportunities early in the first half Britta Sombolonga had a good chance within kind of five minutes or so but for the most part Birmingham were were fairly comfortable for the last 20 minutes. It kind of felt like it was a game where it was going to open up into just attack versus defence with Barra, uh, with kind of waves and waves of Barra attacks. But that definitely, definitely didn't happen. Um, so, you know, this is a, a Birmingham side and a Karanka side, as, as we expect, who are going to be fairly comfortable um, setting up fairly deep to defend. And they were that, but they were better than that in the first half. Mm. They... Um, they were good in possession. The goal itself from Hogan was a really lovely move as lovely well. Lovely move. With Maxime Collin and uh, and Sanchez combining down the right-hand side. Um, and you know, the marking by Barra to lose Hogan in that position, probably not the best, but at the same time, all credit to to Birmingham. You know, you mentioned what I said to you. I know some Birmingham fans think that we have it in for them. Certainly, that I've had it in for them. But I, uh, I was immediately, despite... Middlesbrough carrying the weight of my money. Send you a text being like, "Wow, that was a that was a lovely goal from Brum." It was, um, and and it's an important win for them as well because they're one of the sides we we spoke about in our um, kind of mid-season predictions as, as being a team who could get sucked into it. Uh, but more performances and results like that, then they'll be they'll be well clear fairly soon. Yeah, they should be rightly delighted uh, to have won this game against a team who beat them four one at home the other the other month. Having gone one up as well, having gone one up again uh, on such a poor run of form. But this was, as you say, really impressive. They should be happy, but they should also be demanding more of this. Basically, um, you know, when you see Sanchez and Conan link up like that. You almost like I think I get a bit sad because I'm like that the way that they play means that this doesn't happen as often. Like we had a message earlier saying, "Oh, wh- where do you rank Connor and Sanchez as right back and right wing combos in the championship?" Obviously, you have to take out a few teams who play three at the back with wing backs, but I mean, I I had them maybe I, off the top of my head, maybe sixth or seventh. But part of me could I, I sort of thought to myself they could be higher if the system allowed them to get forward a little bit more Colin especially and, and I'm sure that you know he's he is not an absolute galloper Colin he's he's good in the final third but 
he's not up and down all day like some but i do think mostly it'll be instructions <laughs> it'll be it'll be the the manner of of how karanka wants to set them up that limits him there so yeah i thought that was really eye catching really impressive and they've scored nine goals from open play in 24 games and i want to see more of it so hopefully we will panas and nutmegs tweeted us to raise the point that birmingham uh, away from home where they've taken 70 point uh, 70% of their points 70 <laughs> 70% of their points. Uh, they've only been trailing for 25 minutes total of their away games this season, which is the fewest minutes that a team has been trailing away from home in the whole of the championship. But at home, they've got the second worst record in the league when it comes to to that. So, look, they're a bit of a weird one. I suspect that the way that they set up, the way that they play, the way that Karanka wants them to play means that they're more suited to playing away from home than at home when the onus might be on them slightly more to... to dictate the play and to attack so that's something they need to improve on and hopefully we'll see more of it league one george league one where i'm going to start with peterborough beating mk dons 3-0 uh, because i called this the performance of the week in the efl on quest uh, on saturday i was it was partly because just like i making you look like a karanka i'd been giving it the big and on the betting show <laughs> that mk dons and peterborough didn't have much between them and i thought it was unfair that peterborough were strong favorites for this game Darren making it like a right Ferguson. Uh, they were excellent. I kind of, I kind of, they were excellent. They were clinical. You know, I, I spoke about how how Norwich seemed to have this ability to um, just come out on top in games whilst neither being particularly, well, whilst not being particularly solid and also creating enough. But MK Dons seem to be the opposite of that, where they are consistently a side who create enough chances to win games, who generally keep t- teams pretty much at bay but struggled to pick up the points. You know, Peterborough had six shots in this whole game, um, which is, I mean, I haven't looked, but I would assume it's probably the lowest in, in League One over the over the weekend. Two of those shots were from 35 yards. So they've scored three goals from four. Sorry, yeah, three goals from four pretty good chances. There's no taking anything away from for that. But um, And they were very good. And Dembele showed again his creative um, ability. It's a big game and a big day for Smodix as well. Um, given that he hasn't been in the same form as we saw him in last season. Uh, and it's just a big win for Peterborough. It's their first win for over a month because of the, the COVID break as well. Um, and a sign to the rest of the, the division that, as we thought, they are still a side who could easily get into the the top the top two to automatic, automatic promotion this season. Um, but at the same time, MK Dons didn't roll over. Um, they were still very much in the game. They had, as we'd expect, most of the ball. And it wasn't like Peterborough were able to to bypass, bypass the press consistently. It was more of a case of when they did, they were able to create such good chances that they were clinical and, and eased clear. So, yeah, I mean, it, it was an impressive display by Posh. It wasn't the kind of free-flowing, relentless football um, that we've sometimes associated with this Peterborough side at home in the last 18 months. Uh, but a, a big win for them. And I'm sure Russell Martin will come away with a few facts and figures to read out to his players at training this morning to to say, like, look, this wasn't as bad as the scoreline suggests um, again, but they need to find ways to start picking up the points that the, the performances supposedly merit. Mm, that's certainly true. Um, you, you had said on the preview of this one last Thursday on the Totally Pod that uh, the wingbacks for Posh, Butler and Ward, the first choice wingbacks, were coming back and that would be a boost for them. And that certainly played out 
a wicked cross from Ward for that first goal scored by Johnson Clark Harris, who is still joint top scorer in League One after Jeffcott and him both notched Jeffcott's from the penalty spot. Uh, and God, what a lovely bit of play from Siriki Dembele times two uh, to set up Smodics here. Uh, there was that, I think it was this time last week, while we were recording the pod, uh, we saw that he'd handed in a transfer request and we wondered if that meant a move to the championship. Uh, but Dara McAntony was pretty strong straight away uh, in saying, look, yeah, I mean, we'll sell any player, but not for quite, not unless there's quite a lot of money on the table. And he sort of dismissed it as a, a greedy agent. So, um, you know, by the looks of things, he's still quite keen to to light up League One. Uh, and we know that in flashes, he he does that about as well as anyone. Sunderland three, Wimbledon nil. I I I was in early at Quest to watch this one, and I definitely had a different view to most Sunderland fans that I saw online. Um, I like going to the Roker Report ratings after a game, and I like reading. Um, you know, the, when they asked the the fans, the Sunderland f- fans, what they thought about performances and the results, and it's a really good thing to be able to check out. And I was just definitely more positive than most of the Sunderland fans here. Um, <laughs> from what I saw, they all thought it was pretty miserable and pretty poor. And don't get me wrong, this wasn't incredible. This wasn't irresistible. Uh, in the same way that that four 0 win against Lincoln was mostly in transition and on the counter, like this wasn't fully dominant don't get me wrong but just for me the experience of watching this Sunderland side was quite exciting for the first time in in a long time that's not been the case for the last two and a half years so it's in that context that I was pleased and pleasantly surprised with with what I saw from Sunderland we've cried out for someone to inject just a bit of intent a bit of speed into the attack and I and I saw that it didn't always come off and sometimes when they got to the box you know they didn't necessarily execute in the way that you might want but bodies in the box, flooding into the box when the ball's out wide, a desire to play and move the ball forward with speed, that was what I was excited about. The first goal, if you go back and look at that, it's a really good example of it. A, a penetrative forward pass from Ledbitter, Embleton breaking into the box, uh, and then a cutback and White scoring. And of course, White took the headlines because after that first goal, which was a tap-in, um, you know, his confidence visibly grew. You could tell with his finish one-on-one for his hat-trick. Um, that he's enjoying life at the moment. It's five goals in four league games uh, under Johnson for Wyke, uh, albeit a brace and a hat-trick. It's kind of padded that out, and uh, I've been reliably informed that in at least one of the other games he was garbage. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm look, I was happy to watch this Sunderland team playing like this, and I hope I see more of that because I think it bodes well. So there you go, especially after I said I thought they might win the playoffs on our predictions pod last week. Uh, George, a uh, team that you think is very good and will do very good things is Pompey. They beat Fleetwood 1-0 on the weekend and they hadn't played for like four weeks in the league because of COVID. But if you'd forgotten what had happened before, (laughs) that's now five clean sheets in a row, 13 points from a possible 15 and all of those against teams in and around the top eight, the top 10. Um, Really, really good run of form they're on. Yeah, this is just a classic 1-0 away win. Get on the bus, go home. Don't really talk about it again because um, John Marquis scored with basically their, their first uh, foray forward after 16 minutes. And then after then, um, they had a couple of chances, but it was mainly Fleetwood on the ball. Paul Coots, I think, completed 110 passes in the game, which kind of tells you the way that the game set up. But this is a Pompey side who generally are pretty happy to, to sit deep and soak. Um, One big save from McGillivray that I saw on yeah, the highlights. Well, that's what I was going to say was that Fleetwood to their credit, created more than most teams do manage when when trying to come from behind against Pompey. And that's why I'm saying, you know, this wasn't vintage Portsmouth. This wasn't, um, you know, Harness and Williams um, picking Fleetwood off on the break as we've seen in the past before. This was going ahead 
and having to deal with a, a bit of a deluge, but they, they did it. And, you know, I'm still fairly convinced that they are, if not the best footballing team in the division, which they aren't, they are still the team who who offer the most to both, both ends of the pitch. And for that reason, they're going to be very, very hard to, um, to, to stop going forward. Interestingly, didn't make a sub and Ronan Curtis, uh, not in the squad. Because you've been reasons. touting him with moves to Brentford, that's why. Probably. Um, they have just yes. announced the signing of a youngster on loan from Spurs called Harvey White. I'm um, excited to see. Does he play inside left? I don't, I don't know. I mean, is no it... one has since the 1940s, so I don't know why I said it like that. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a right half. Um... So it was a po- positive COVID test, apparently, Curtis. Right. Well, that would be the reason for his absence then. No, no, uh, no transfer rumours. No it, was, it was confirmed by a tweet from his mum, Marie. Yes, she'll do that. Swindon 1, Doncaster 2. Uh, this one, you, you had to keep a close eye on Donny because everyone's very worried about how much they will miss Ben Whiteman when you take a player whose quality at this level is pretty undeniable at this stage, who's also the captain, who has the most touches of the ball. He's not anymore. Moves the ball forward the most. You know, you're right to be concerned. But their first goal made me think there might be life after Whiteman because I think, you know, although Whiteman's passing and his, and his progressive passing specifically stands out whenever you look at stats uh, in League One. I do think it's partly a function of how Doncaster play and therefore it doesn't mean that they won't have anyone else to play those passes. Um, I don't want to overreact either to, to one performance and one goal but uh, Taylor Richards played a brilliant um, forward really, pass through the really centre nice. of midfield into James the and then James zipped it on straight away onto the on-rushing Okunabire. It was a really nice goal. Um, Okunabire at the double. He's uh, he's an interesting one. He gets into really good positions. His goal return's pretty good. don't think he's ever been considered particularly prolific at this level, but there's certainly signs that he could become that, that he could be growing into that for this Doncaster side. Uh, and it was interesting to see them start life without Whiteman with a win. And George, I mean, the Rochdale craziness continues. It's now 41 goals total in their last eight games. That's an average of more than five a game. And this one, after last weekend, when they came from 3-0 down to draw 3-0, and midweek when they led a couple of times against Charlton and drew 4-0, this time it was ahead once, behind twice, with 10 men, draw 3-0. Do you remember last season when we often had to speak about... um about Rochdale and how it was stale and boring. I mean, that has definitely changed. Uh, I interviewed Brian Barry Murphy, the Rochdale manager, on the Totally Football League show Extra Time last week. So if you haven't listened, I really would go back and listen to it because he is an interesting guy to talk to uh, because it feels like, you know, we've been lucky enough to talk to a lot of managers and it feels like the project at Rochdale is just very different to other jobs. It feels like, at least from what he's saying, the task that Brian Barry Murphy both sets himself and is set by the club is very different to other teams. It's not so results driven. Whilst that is important, he kind of seemed to say the the importance of the results was more for his players and the way that they're feeling and thinking rather than necessarily the future well-being of the club. There's obviously like a a massive um, focus on the process and focus on a way of playing and a focus on nurturing young talent and, and, and then moving them on. Um, and it's it's really laudable. You know, I, I'm someone who has no ties to Rochdale at all, but certainly on the back of that interview and on, and on the back of speaking to Brian, um, I think what he wants to do and the way that he, you know, he seems to kind of hurt, not by losing three points, but hurt by the idea of his of, of his players not getting the most out of their ability. And that, I think, is a is a 
a trait that we could all like to see in our own managers. So, um, you know, I asked him how he felt as a manager watching these games, and he just said it's it's a roller coaster, as you mentioned, which is you know to put it mildly. Um, but they do, you know, they have to work out a way to to try and keep keep some clean sheets because it's all very well and good being, you know, playing football and scoring scoring good goals and trying to retain possession, but um, but you can't keep conceding at the the rate that they are. You say you've got no personal ties for Rochdale, but I mean you have got that tattoo of Spotland on your ass. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> let's move on let's move on uh, hey from a, from a Wigan perspective uh, I was thrilled to see Callum Lang back and scoring uh, a nicely taken goal as well rolled the defender uh, and slotted home Lang someone that like I don't know whether I overrate him but I've just always really wanted to see Wigan give him a chance and I've been somewhat frustrated in the past that he hasn't got it he scored goals for Morecambe in 17-18 on a loan in League 2 and then he scored goals for Oldham uh, in uh, in eighteen nineteen, also in League Two, and um, from there it felt like okay, either give him some sort of chance. In fairness to Wigan, Paul Cook's four two three one, and the fact that they were kicking on in the Championship meant that it would have been tough for him to do that. But he didn't score too many on loan at Shrewsbury last season, and then uh, went up to Motherwell uh, before being recalled in January. So, look, it's in the worst of circumstances, basically. But finally, Callum Lang is playing for, for Wigan, and I genuinely think, certainly at League One level, he should be able to score goals. Hey, out of the three 1-0 away wins that were all kind of tight here, Accrington 0, Jills 1, Burton 0, Ipswich 1, Bristol Rovers 0, Charlton 1, uh, which of those would you most like to tackle? I'm going to go for Ipswich against Burton because Ipswich were really poor again. Um, they only had one shot up until the 70th minute, I think it was. Um, they scored from a set piece. They only had six shots in the game. Uh, they did hit the hit the woodwork late on, but you know Ipswich fans again throughout this game were pretty perplexed as to how they were coming up against one of the worst defensive sides in the division the worst defensive side in the division and were struggling consistently to create anything. Um, Burton will feel a little bit hard done by. They had a few chances in the game. Jimmy Floyd Hasselbank, it looks like, you know, it's a very, very small sample size of two games, but it looks like he has improved them a bit. I mean, it couldn't really get much worse than the performance in the the thrashing to Oxford where he was sitting in the stands, but certainly early signs are, are positive ones. Um, They're able to stop their opposition scoring two or three goals a game, which is a good start. Yeah, well, even just creating chances. I mean, that was the, the key thing here. I mean, Ipswich were huffing and puffing without really creating too much. Um, you know, this 1-0 win might improve Ipswich's league position, but has done very, very little to persuade Ipswich fans that Paul Lambert is the man and that owner Marcus Evans is right to retain the faith. Absolutely. Well, why don't I tell you that Gillingham, I think we're pretty good for that win against Accrington. Uh, I know that you were disappointed that Accrington did get into some good areas and got some good shots off inside Jills's box, but overall there were bodies, you know, generally apart from one really good save from the keeper uh, from a Colby Bishop chance. Jills defended resolutely, they defended their box well and unlike recent weeks they actually created a fair bit as well. Ollie Lee had a good chance for them. Verdane Oliver had two good efforts for them and Dempsey's goal was a lovely piece of play, a lovely curling finish from the edge of the box. So I mean, all season we've really struggled to pick Jills because they've had winning runs, they've had losing runs and Ultimately, they are just the team in 12th place, bang in the middle of mid-table. Their results are pretty mid-table. 
um, they they seem to win one, then lose one generally, and uh, they're very hard to, to sort of really nail down. But uh, when it came to this game against Accrington, they managed to eke it out, which is very good. And then Rovers Charlton, Bristol Rovers Charlton was another. That was a, a much livelier game, I think, than the one nil scoreline suggested. Chances at both ends for for both sides, and in the end, uh, Charlton edged it thanks to a, a goal direct from a corner from Forster Kasky. Did did you know that that's called an Olympic goal? Not until I heard you really? um, saying it, yeah. This is one of the weirdest things in my weekend. Like I, I'm making my notes for Quest as the as the day goes on on Saturday, uh, which I share like which I share with the others uh, when we start putting together the show, and I just put like Charlton one, Bristol Rovers nil, Forster Kasky Olympic goal, and I in my head I, everyone knew what that was, and it would be like oh that's fun, and then literally everyone in the production team was like what the hell is that. Um, and I was like, oh, well, it's called an Olympic goal. I couldn't actually think off the top of my head why it was called that. So I had to Google it. But it's got it's got its own Google, uh, sorry, Wikipedia page. And uh, yeah, 1924, Argentina beating the Olympic champions of the time, Uruguay, uh, with a goal direct from a corner. So there you go, Olympic goal. I genuinely thought that was like quite common knowledge. So obviously my football nerdiness has, has got the better of me there um but i mean a valuable three points let's be clear for charlton i don't want to be flippant um and they played well and chuck sanike did start in this game we wondered whether his body would be up for it um because he hasn't always had it easy playing two games in a week but uh he did look good albeit not on the score sheet uh, now georgian league two i've never seen anything like it on quest we had nine games and the first seven games we saw in league two were draws which, and you hate talking about Jaws as well. Well, so everyone knows how we operate on this pod, how we filter down games to talk about because we haven't got all day. We can't talk about 36 games or 28 as the case may have been on the weekend. So, I mean, we're either going, we either go against our long-held beliefs and traditions and talk about a load of draws in League Two or we only talk about two games, Barrow 1, Scunthorpe nil, and Orient 2, Morecambe nil. So, I mean, what, what do you want to do there? I'll take Orient 2, Morecambe nil. You take Barry 1, Scunthorpe nil. Let me move on. All right, mate. Um, I feel sorry for Morecambe here because they had chances to go ahead uh, against Leighton Orient at nil-nil uh, and were unable to take them. They were probably the better side in the game up to that point. But if you don't take your chances, especially away from home, the chances are the home team will get their way into it. And that's certainly what happened. Um, Orient without Danny Johnson, who it, we don't know how long he... Uh, is set to be out for at the moment. Bit of knee ligament knack. Uh, Embleton said out for a little while, but not mm. entirely sure how long that little while will be. And that, that's a blow. Mm. Um, although Liangol took his goal very nicely mm. in injury time to make it 2-0. Um, I, don't yeah, I, mean, think, I don't think Angle's going to score 30% of his shots though, like Danny no, Johnson. Nor do I. Uh, although I don't think Danny Johnson will probably score 30% of his shots long term either. Um, but Morecambe, you know, th- this isn't... This this is a result to worry about, but not a performance to worry about with Morecambe. You know, as somebody who has recently said that I believe them to be one of the better teams in, in the division, there was nothing on Saturday to um, to dissuade me of that. They still had enough chances in the game to to be the side who went ahead, um, but they didn't take them, and that's a lesson for them to learn. But for for Rory, it's a it's an important win for them because it just shows that there is. There's life without Johnson because they still will have their, you know, their sights set on on getting up in towards the playoffs. Life without Johnson, what a phrase that is. Uh, well, <laughs> I also I wanted to give credit to your favourite former Swindon keeper Lawrence Vigaru, who made some very good saves here. But it was like 
if you could boil Vigaru, not that I'm suggesting anyone should, and then distill Vigaru into a, a bottle of Vigaru, this was it, right? Because he, he made a couple of really good athletic saves. Uh, he also passed the ball to the opposition striker at one point and almost conceded a calamity goal um, and also sprayed some lovely passes, which he is, uh, which he's very good at as well. So w- well done, Vigaru. Ultimately, the, the difference maker, as well as some poor finishing from Morgan that you've touched on there. Uh, Barrow beats Gunthorpe 1-0. I think with Barrow, I'm still kind of holding out out hope that they will just, by nature of, of them being like quite a good team, um, just ease their way away from the relegation zone. I, I do think that they've obviously lacked, at times, consistency in their performance. And it's easy to say EFL experience, because that as a concept, I don't think either of us particularly care about or buy into necessarily. When you look at Barrow, like there, there aren't, many players in that team who have ever played in the EFL before, who have ever played league football. And I, you know, I think in that case, there is probably something to be said for it when the whole squad lacks EFL experience more so than like, you know, when a player comes in or a manager and you're like, well, they don't know the level. So I say all that to say that the signing of Neil Ardley from, uh, from, well, as it was from Burton, but the, the right back that I always think of in Lincoln city terms, um, I think could be huge for them because I mean, you couldn't find basically a more experienced DFL right back um, to come and play for Barrow. And and I know he's had a tough time recently staying fit, but to all intents and purposes, he can only be a very, very good thing for this Barrow side. And from what I heard, he was straight in at right back and having a magnificent game. So for, for Scunny, I mean, any any flashes of hope and uh, and and good run of form has gone now again. Uh, they've lost seven of their last nine games. They've got six points in that time. So but they are going to have to find another shot in the arm um, to improve again because, you know, at a time where we're still trying to work out how much Southend's improved run of form, it, it will will be sustained uh, at a time where Grimsby have got a new manager and potentially could improve the atmosphere off the pitch and, and how much might that improve things on it. There aren't a ton of teams now if you're scunny and you're looking around for those who are going to finish below you. There aren't a ton of teams left, so they really do need to buck up their ideas. Uh, this was a, a pretty desperate performance, I must say. Shall we finish with a game of red or no red? Yes. How did you want to do this? It was your, it was your brainchild. A lot of reds in the EFL this weekend, I think. Nine in total. So I'm going to say the event. We're going to do straight reds only. I'm going to say the event, and you're going to say red or no red. Then I'll say if I agree or... If I disagree. Okay. You weren't expecting that, were you? <laughs> right. Uh, so the first one we're going to do is Lerma, the stray arm for Bournemouth against Newton. I thought no red. I think no red too. It's been overturned, which is interesting. There you go. <laughs> um, Get us on the but, panel. But I can see I can see why it's been given. Yeah. I mean, Lockyer's had a lot of claret and did have to come off because of that injury. I mean, I guess guess the question is, um, does dangerous play, does intent matter with that? Like, it's pretty, you can't really argue that that was dangerous play because of the outcome. I agree. So maybe, I don't know. Clearly, clearly, clearly there has to be some... Don't get us on the panel. (laughs) Maybe don't get us on the panel because clearly I haven't read the rule book as, as closely as I should. Okay, next one. Jimmy McNulty of Rochdale, a kind of funny little kick out against Wigan. As someone who does not like getting kicked in the nuts, I will say red. Yeah, I think red as well. I think he knew what he was doing. The fact that the player is behind him when he's sitting down, he still manages to kick him, suggests a level of uh, of, of, of 
um, intent. Yes. Uh, Sheehan at Newport County. Uh, yeah, I said I thought red. I thought Mike red. Finn disagrees with you. He hates you now. I reckon. Having watched that, I think definitely, definitely a red. Yeah, it was a quite um, a classic case of someone just knocking the ball down the line and someone else coming in like needlessly strongly and yeah. like clearing them out. Whether it was like a full-on two-footer, I don't know, but it ended up more or less like that. And the, the idea that you touch the ball and therefore it's not a red is also just not true. If there's excessive force, Reese Burke, two quite similar ones here. Reese Burke, yeah, yeah, uh, Burks was Harold a red against, yeah, definite red. Burks was a red, and he and 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 do you know what? At the time, there was only about ten minutes to go, and he took down the uh, Blackpool player who was one on one. And at the time, ben Woodburn. I did say to to Danny uh, Cowley, I was like, I'm interested to know, like, are you kind of do you say actually because they missed the free they didn't score the free kick so it was still one nil as play restarted there was only ten minutes left and I sort of thought actually that that might be worth it but then of course they conceded an equaliser and it wasn't Ben Woodburn's probably last impact in a Blackpool shirt because he's gone back to Liverpool interested to see where he pops up next uh, James Chester Stoke did he get a touch of the ball I think this is harsh for loads of reasons okay I'll go so with I think you that, then I think there's another defender not up with play but near enough to that for it still not to be necessarily last man it, i don't think it's in any way deliberate i think he might get the ball i think there's too much doubt and then last two because these weren't red cards mm. christian bielik <laughs> yeah felix uh that was insane i mean the, the most the most obvious yellow card i've ever seen having just been booked and the, and the ref decided to let him off that one I, I mean you have to think that that was a red card so i won't even ask you i know that you were very upset about uh, Troy Deeney staying on the pitch in that Watford game. Correct. I think that is uh, an example of where the rules don't really go far enough because that is that is dangerous play. That's a professional foul. It's not studs up. Um, it is late. He's deliberately wiped Bakuna out. He's kicked him out halfway up the leg. Um, he, and there, you can't tell me he thought he was going to get to the ball as well. It's it's like it's an absolutely atrocious tackle, and those tackles need to be eradicated. And the way to do that is to introduce red cards. As somebody who thinks that the, the penalties can uh, offer, you know, the, the penalty rules and what you get penalties for is way too generous. More red cards for stuff like that. Let's get that stuff out of the game. You should be punished with a red. If you deliberately wipe someone out whilst they're running in full flow, then you should be sent off, I'm afraid. I saw a pleasing amount of Watford fans that we follow on Twitter saying that they thought it should have been a red card, even at the yeah. time, which is great to see. And maybe yes. because they're not that keen on Troy Deeney at the moment, either as a, a captain no. or as a goal scorer. But uh, yeah, okay. Well, thanks. That's a, the probably the first and only game of red or no red that we'll play. Uh, but hopefully you've enjoyed this uh, Not The Top 20 podcast, guys. Make sure you're subscribed. There's plenty more where this came from. Uh, we'll be back again second half of the week with a betting show and also with a Totally Football League show extra time. So it'd be great if you could head over to that podcast feed as well and give it a follow. Um and uh, George, thank you. I'm really, thank you. I'm really cherishing our time recording together at the moment because, uh, as much as I'd like to say that I've got a ton going on outside of this, uh, that would be a lie, and I hate lying. So, <laughs> at the very least, we've got a set of midweek fixtures this week, which will be uh, fun to follow, won't it? Yeah, um, I'm excited. Oxford not playing again, which is quite tiresome for for us, but. Um... Yeah, looking forward to immersing myself in all the EFL content on, on Tuesday. At NTT20pod on Twitter, guys. Hopefully, even if I didn't big up the weekend of EFL action, 
uh, at the top of the show. Hopefully you've uh, you've enjoyed listening to this. We've had plenty to say on a, a number of different topics, but do get in touch with us if there's anything else you want to ask. Um, we're here for you at the moment. If you need uh, any company, any uh, anyone to chat football with, we're your guys. So thank you, and uh, we'll talk again soon.